So you got the outline on Jehoshaphat, and we're going to take a look at a lesson in loyalty tonight. So if you recall, our lessons uh, from David-like leaders are uh, based on David, a man after God's own heart. And so these four kings that we're examining were people that, like David, were trying to follow after God. What does he want? These leaders made a difference. And if you recall, in Judah, the southern kingdom on our map here, the two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, comprised of that nation. Uh, They had 20 kings, and eight were good, but only four were compared to David. And so that's why we're looking at we four kings. Uh, As we're at the halfway point here, just a heads up, next week we'll get Hezekiah. So your homework is read 2 Chronicles 29 to 32. And uh, you can read about Hezekiah for next week. Uh, In this lesson, we're going to take a look at how, for the most part, Jehoshaphat is very loyal and follows God and is on track with God. But you'll see him uh, as... uh, as an example of disloyalty in walking in a a way that he should not with a king of Israel named Ahab. So when you you talk about bad kings, Israel, all their kings, these ten northern tribes, were bad. They didn't follow after God. And Ahab is one of the worst. And sadly, Jehoshaphat makes an alliance with Ahab and, and follows after what he wants rather than what not what God wants. So you, you see these contrasts of walking in God's ways and yet not. And just like everybody in Scripture, nobody's perfect. And so these are godly people and yet they're not perfect. So I'm glad this is cataloged for us. I think what you'll find compelling when we take a look at this section in Second Chronicles where, uh, where um, Jehoshaphat is making this alliance with, with Ahab, you get a glimpse of spiritual warfare and you get a glimpse of what could happen before Jesus died on the cross. And so with our timeline we've been using, again, using the genealogies in Genesis 5, Genesis 11, literally doing the math. Well, maybe about 4,000 B.C., Adam is created. He sins, so God needs a plan of salvation. And eventually he takes a man, Abraham, and says, you're going to have three things going for you. You're going to have all these people as a great nation. You're going to have the land, the land of Israel. And eventually all nations will be blessed through you. So the Messiah is going to come through your line. So eventually, and we're going to see as Jehoshaphat lives, uh, he's in this line where the Messiah is coming. And so Jesus dies on the cross, wins the victory over sin, death, and the devil. But up until that point, think about it, our sins were not paid for. The promise was coming, but it hadn't been realized, it hadn't been finalized. So when Jesus says, it is, is finished now the work of salvation is done and so you're going to see a glimpse of spiritual warfare in this section it's very very interesting and i want to take you take you to some other scriptures as well just to understand up until this point satan had us dead to rights nobody's sin was paid for yet so as we live on the other side of jesus's life we can look back now and always have known this is the savior but before that They were waiting, they had faith, they knew he would come, but Satan also knew, by law, these people, their sins are not paid for. Wow. But God wins, all right? God's sovereign, he's in total control. So we're going to take a look at that, besides the lesson in loyalty. Let's pray. We'll take a look at 2 Chronicles. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the opportunity to gather here, and I thank you for Jehoshaphat's 
witness to us on how to act in loyalty. Lord, I pray that we can learn from uh, what he did correctly as well as what he did incorrectly to avoid that. Lord, help us to apply these lessons to our lives. Most of all, Lord, I thank you that your plan of salvation was carried out, that you saw us in our sin but didn't abandon us, but instead made sure that this salvation was going to come to realization. Lord, give us insights by the Spirit today, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Josephus, you can see on the outline there, means the Lord judges, and you can see when he lived, 874 to 848. He's the son of our previous king, Asa, and so they actually ruled together for three years. So, as his dad's on the throne, he takes the throne as well. They're co-regents or co-kings, if you will, and then eventually he's, as, as his father dies, then he takes over and that's what we're going to be focusing on, on here. So as you open your Bible, you're in Second Chronicles chapter 17, and we're in verse 1. Jehoshaphat, his son, succeeded him, uh, Asa in other words, and strengthened himself against Israel. He stationed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah and put garrisons in Judah and in the towns of Ephraim that his father had captured. So just as a remembrance, uh, th there was some tension with these 10 northern tribes, even though they were all one nation at one point. So you talk about civil war, well, here there was tension, so he was fortifying that border like his dad was and making sure that his kingdom is safe. And then you get the description of his character. Take a look at verse 3. The Lord was with Josephat because in his early years he walked in the ways of his father, uh, walked in the ways his father David had followed. He did not consult the Baals, but sought the God of his father and followed his commands rather than the practices of Israel. The Lord established the kingdom under his control, and all Judah brought gifts to Jehoshaphat so that he had great wealth and honor. His heart was devoted to the ways of the Lord. Furthermore, he removed the high places and the Asherah poles from Judah. So that, just that last uh, verse again. Remember the high places built up on a hill where they would worship. The idea was now the gods can see us better. And the Asherah poles, the, the uh, goddess of fertility and war, he cut down more of those. They kept popping up. If you read through First uh, and 2 Kings, First and Second Chronicles, a godly king would take that stuff out and then people would bring it back. And then another godly king would come and take that stuff away, and then the people would bring it back. So there's this constant dealing with the sins of that area, and it goes back to what happened. They did not exterminate the people, those seven, uh, those seven tribes in Deuteronomy 7 that they were told to. They let them live, and then they picked up their worship styles, and that's why the Lord said, do not make a treaty with these people. It's going to be judgment day. You're going to wipe all of them out, and then you guys can live here, and you won't be contaminated with that spiritual worship. We look at that and think, oh, that's so evil. How could God do that? Well, God, in his justice, in his, in his judgment, he has judged before the flood, Sodom and Gomorrah are examples. So he was simply saying to Israel, you're going to be this judgment that falls on those Canaanite nations, then they won't be a thorn in your side in a spiritual sense. Well, they didn't follow that, and then you still see them in Judges and in the First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, people adopting what the Canaanites did, even the human sacrifice and the like. So if you go back to verse 3, you get this great commendation. He walked in the ways of his father David, all right? Notice it says uh, in verse uh, 4, he sought the God of his, follow, of his father, Asa, and followed his commands rather than the practices of Israel. So 
understanding God's covenant. We talked about that from Deuteronomy 28. When you walk in my ways, in that conditional covenant, because you're my people that I took out of Israel, when you, or Egypt, when you are obedient, there's going to be all these blessings. But if you disobey, there's going to be curses, there's going to be consequences. So you're seeing some of the blessings here because of his obedience walking in the covenant ways that God had established. Look at verse 5. The Lord established the kingdom under his control, and all Judah brought gifts to Jehoshaphat, so he had great wealth and honor. And so if you take a look on the outline there, number one, again, he's not focusing on Baal like Israel did in the the ten northern tribes, the, the northern kingdom. He's focusing on what God wants. And then he's given honor, and that's one of the covenant promises, the blessings for obedience. You will be honored when you, when you follow me. And sure enough, he is. And so I gave the cross-reference from Deuteronomy 28, 13 to 14. You can look at it later if you want. And then I love what it says here, verse 6. I'm reading NIV, 1984 version. His heart was devoted to the ways of the Lord. Right? That word, devoted, in Hebrew is fascinating. His heart was lifted up in the ways of the Lord. Your Bible might say, a translator uh, from Hebrew might say, his, his heart was uh, encouraged, strengthened, courageous, right? Um, he was Braveheart, okay? If I, if I say Braveheart, do you understand the cultural reference, the movie reference, okay? So if you know William Wallace and, and, and the movie, all right, so he was Braveheart. He, his heart was lifted up. I'm going to follow God, all right? And because of that, he's, he's courageous, he's doing these things, and, and many people are following them because he's setting the tone. So it's really kind of a cool uh, a way to describe that. If you hold a finger here or mark Second Chronicles 17, let's go to that cross-reference, Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24. Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24. So again, you, you mark that with your outline or with a pen or pencil or keep your finger there. And let's jump over to Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. When you hear of compliments in the Bible, uh, like w- what we've been hearing in our study of David on, on Sunday mornings. So here's David and he's handsome and he's ruddy. And so here's uh, Saul, and he's taller than everybody. So this idea of, well, what, what Samuel told uh, uh, David's father, Jesse, we look on the outside, God looks on the inside. And so what compliments do you find in Scripture? What, what encouragements do you find in Scripture where God goes, I'm talking about character. I'm not talking about your appearance or your wealth or whatever. Jeremiah 9, I love 23 and 24. It says this, uh, Jeremiah 9, 23. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches, but let, let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. It's a great passage. Take a look at it again. Look at verse 23. Hey, what are you bragging about? Your grade point average? What are you bragging about? How much you can bench press? What are you bragging about? Your portfolio? Your income level? Really? He goes, you want to boast about something? Do you understand God? Do you, do you know him? Not just know about him. Do you know him? You spend time with him and his word? He goes, if you want to boast about something, <laughs> boast about your relationship with me. 
and, and your heart is lifted up in that way, right? He says, I'm the Lord. I exercise kindness, justice, righteousness on the earth. I delight in those things. So when his people walk in his ways, when his people are like him, he goes, that's it. That's my boy. That's my girl. That's it. And so here's Jehoshaphat. His heart is lifted up. And he, he's courageous. He, he exalts in following God. He doesn't exalt in all the riches that come in or all the other blessings that uh, are coming just because of his obedience. It's because he wants to follow the Lord. Let's go back now to 2 Chronicles 17. So he's got this great... Uh, explanation of his character and then the consequences of obedience again part of that conditional covenant we talked about that in the first week is is uh, spoken about in the next section here in this chapter so pick it up in verse 7 in the third year of his reign so now his father has passed away as after they were co-regents and and now he's on his own for uh, fully he sent his officials ben hale obadiah zachariah uh, Nathaniel and Micaiah to teach in the towns of Judah. With them were certain uh, Levites, Shemaiah, uh, Nethaniah, Zebediah, Asahel, Shemaramath, uh, Jehonathan, Adonijah, Tobijah, and Tob Adonijah, and the priests Elishama and Jehoram. By the way, what I have found is when you find a name, you don't know how to pronounce, just say something. And everyone will go, oh, that's how you pronounce that. <laughs> and then he had, mm-hmm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm, that's how you pronounce that. It looks like Bob to me. But I, okay, all right. So he's got all these people. What, is it, what are they doing? They're teaching. All right, take a look at that again. Verse 9, they taught throughout Judah, taking with them the book of the law of the Lord, they went around to all the towns of Judah and taught the people. Now, what a great example. We talked about this the first week. The covenant that God had set up, that conditional covenant, this is Deuteronomy 31. Hey, every seven years, you guys got to come back. And you got to come back to Jerusalem. And you got to hear the word of the Lord. Because you don't have, as you live in these 12 tribes when they were one unified nation, as, you, as you're scattered, you don't have a copy of the Bible. You don't have a copy of Deuteronomy. So you've got to come back and hear what you're required to do. So what does he do? He says, why don't we take God's word to the people? <laughs> Instead of having them come and wait for seven years, right, why don't we just take the word to the people? Right? And so he's broadcasting this with these teachers listed there with those, those names. And it's just a, another example of him saying, look, this is God's will. I'm going to walk in it. I'm going to be courageous. My heart's lifted up. I, don't, I want all of us to know this. And so let's, let's be the people God has called us to be. Now look at 10. The fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms of the land surrounding Judah, so they did not make war with Jehoshaphat. Some Philistines brought Jehoshaphat gifts and silver as tribute, and the Arabs brought him flocks, 7,700 rams and 7,700 goats. So in this section, you've got, again, the blessing of obedience in Deuteronomy, and I gave you the cross-reference, you can double-check this. God said, when you walk in my ways, you're going to find you're going to be at peace, and people will bless you, not just in your land, but from foreign nations. So these people, the Philistines, they would be on the coast, and then people from the other side of the Jordan come over, and they're bringing them stuff and, 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 and uh, giving them tribute. And then in verse 12, Jehoshaphat became more and more powerful. He built forts and store cities in Judah and had large supplies in the towns of Judah. He also, he also kept experienced fighting men in Jerusalem. 
their enrollment by families was as follows. Now you can read through that, and you're just going to jump over that. And then in verse 19 it says, These were men who served the king besides those stationed in the fortified cities throughout Judah. So, uh, and you can see on the outline there. So safety in the land, again, another blessing for covenant obedience, and he's got a, a, a lot of people working for him, serving him. Um, notice what he's doing. I'm spiritually going to make sure everybody knows what God wants because we're his people. We're not doing this to get saved. We've already been saved. We were already taken out of Egypt, and now we've been brought here. And so this is what he wants us to do. This is what we're going to do. And then he's got also an understanding of, look, but we've got all sorts of people that are against us, so we're going to fortify cities. Drought sometimes happens, so we're going to have stores. We're going to build up stuff and store supplies, and then we're going to make sure that our fighting men are ready to go. Understanding, I've got to spiritually protect these people, but I also physically got to protect them. I've got to provide for their needs. So great king. So now we get into chapter uh, 18. And this, I think, is one of the most dramatic stories in the Bible. But sadly, it shows how Jehoshaphat is disloyal, is now doing what he should not because he's setting up an alliance with the northern king, the king of Israel, Ahab. And again, all their kings were bad, and Ahab's one of the worst, right? Take a look at verse eight, or chapter 18 and verse 1. Now Josephat had great wealth and honor, and he allied himself with Ahab by marriage. Some years later, he went down to visit Ahab in Samaria. Ahab slaughtered many sheep and cattle for him and the people, uh, uh, and the people with him and urged him to attack Ramoth-Gilead. Ahab, king of Israel, asked Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, will you go with me against Ramoth-Gilead? If you come over to the map here, uh, so Israel's territory extends over here, and this is one of these border towns with these nations over here to the east. And he goes, hey, why don't we join forces and attack Ramoth-Gilead? I mean, a double team would be even better than us going as Israelites against Ramoth-Gilead. So what do you say, right? Jehoshaphat replied, I am as you are, and my people as your people. We will join you in the war. Let's, yeah. We're all in this together, right? We're, we're all people of God, and even though you don't follow God, and you've got idols, and you've got, you set up your own priest system, and set, uh, worship days, and uh, again, if you want more, I can give you more on that. It's like, even though you're way off, yeah, yeah, we're all in this together. We're all unified. But then he says this, verse 4, But Josephat also said to the king of Israel, First seek the counsel of the Lord. Now, just hold your horses, Ahab. Before we go to war, let's just ask the Lord, should we do that, right? Because, hey, we're in this together, and we got this marriage, and, and, and we're aligned. But let's just ask what the Lord wants to do. So that, that's a good move. Verse 5, So the king of Israel brought together the prophets, 400 men, and asked them, Shall we go to war against Ramoth-Gilead, or shall I refrain? Go, they answered, for God will give it into the king's hand. Now remember, there's no godly king here. These people don't listen to God, but there's 400 prophets who are going, you're going to win! Go! Watch Jehoshaphat. Verse 6, but Jehoshaphat asked, is there not a prophet of the Lord here whom we can inquire of? So at least he can see through. He goes, I don't know who these people are, but gosh, that's interesting. 400 to nothing is the vote. The king of Israel uh, verse 7, answered Jehoshaphat, There is still one man through whom we can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. 
He is Micaiah, son of Imla. I think it's one of the funniest verses in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's, come to think of it, there's one guy, this Micaiah, doggone it, he's always telling me what I don't want to hear. Man, read 2 Timothy sometime. Paul writes in 2 Timothy, he says, be careful. People will gather around them false teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. It's this great passage. Look, you got to understand, sometimes what happens? We talked about this. What's prophecy? Prophecy isn't just predicting the future. Prophecy is, this is God's will. And sometimes you hear what you don't want to hear. God goes, child, I'm going to tell you the hard truth now. Ephesians 4.15, I'm going to speak the truth in love. Now, I, don't, I know you don't want to hear this, but you got to hear this. Paul goes, you got to understand, some people will gather around them, false teachers, to tell them what their itching ears want to hear. Just scratch right there. That's it. Yeah. Oh, thank you. And yeah, I'll tell you what you want to hear, not what you need to hear. So he goes, yeah, it's my kid. He's always telling me that I'm doing something wrong. Man, he's a broken record. So what does Jehoshaphat say? The king should not say that. Jehoshaphat replied, Look, maybe he's telling you what you don't want to hear. Maybe he's telling you a hard truth, right? So the king of Israel, Ahab, called one of his officials and said, Bring Micaiah, son of Imlat, once. Look at 9. Dressed in their royal robes, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones at the threshing floor by the entrance to the gate of Samaria. Samaria is the capital. I didn't put it on the map. It's about here, okay? Samaria is their capital city uh, in the northern kingdom. Uh, uh, where all the prophets were prophesying before them. Verse 10, Now Zedekiah, son of Kenanah, had made iron horns, and he declared, This is what the Lord says. With these you will gore the Arameans until they're destroyed. So he has an object lesson for Ahab and Jehoshaphat. Check it out. Look at this. I got horns. I made them. I got a horn hat here. And look, this is what it's going to be. You're going to be like a bull, and you're just going to gore those guys. You're just going to destroy them. It's going to be a bloodbath. So 400 prophets are saying this. One guy with his horn hat object lesson. All the other prophets, verse 11, were prophesying the same thing. Attack Ramoth Gilead and be victorious, they said. For the Lord will give it into the king's hand. Now you notice, they're saying, God is for you. You're going to win. Now it's 400, right, to nothing. The messenger, verse 12, who had gone to summon Micaiah, said to him, Look, as one man, the other prophets are predicting success for the king. Let your word agree with theirs and speak favorably. Why don't you be a straw and suck up to the king and tell him what he wants to hear, okay? Be smart about this. Don't blow it. Verse 13, but Micaiah said, as surely as the Lord lives, I can only tell him what my God says. Verse 14, when he arrived, the king asked him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead? Or shall I refrain? Attack and be victorious, he answered, for they'll be given into your hand. The king said to him, How many times must I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? So he must have said it in a facetious way. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're going to gore him to death. Oh, yeah. So Ahab goes, Come on now. Tell me the truth. So Micaiah goes, Want to know the truth? I'll tell you the truth. Fascinating section. Take a look at this. Verse 16, Then Micaiah answered, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, These people have no master. Let each one go home in peace. You're not going to win. 
you're going to lose. Your army is going to be decimated, and you're going to be dead. 400 guys, you're going to win! It's going to be like you're a bull in a china shop! No, you're going to die, and your army is going to be wiped out. Now look at Ahab's reply. Verse 17, the king of Israel, Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, didn't I tell you he never prophesied anything good about me, but only bad? <laughs> yeah, well, maybe you don't want to hear it, but you want to listen, right? And so Micaiah continues, 18, therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the hosts of heaven standing on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab, king of Israel, into attacking Ramoth Gilead and going to his death there? One suggested this and another that. Finally, a spirit came forward, stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. By what means, the Lord asked. I will go out and be, in lying, be a lying spirit in the mouths of all of his prophets, he said. You'll succeed in enticing him, said the Lord. Go and do it. So now the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouths of these prophets of yours. The Lord's decreed disaster for you. Do you understand what Micaiah just said? He goes... You want to know what's going on? This is spiritual warfare, Ahab. There's a demonic spirit lying through these 400 prophets telling you you're going to win. And they're saying, it's from the Lord. Look at the iron horns. You're a bull in the china shop. Go, go, go. No. You're going to be killed. Your army's going to be wiped out. God is judging you, and it's over for you. And you're going to listen to these false teachers with the demonic spirit that's moving through them so you are led to your destruction because it's over for you. Now watch the reaction. Verse 23, Then Zedekiah, the guy who made the horn hat, son of Kenanah, went up and slapped Micaiah in the face. Which way did the spirit from the Lord go when he went from me to speak to you? Look at Micaiah's reply. You'll find out on the day you go to hide in an inner room. Now, why did he say that? Give you on the outline here. If you lied, if you made a prophecy in the name of the Lord, Deuteronomy 18 says, it's real easy to tell when a prophet is speaking in the name of the Lord. It's going to come true. God's omniscient. God's not going to make any wrong predictions. God's not going to do anything wrong. So if someone says, this is what the Lord says, and they make some prediction, and it doesn't come true. This is Deuteronomy 18. You can read it. He goes, then you know that's a false teacher, a false prophet. It's real easy to spot. You just test what's being predicted. And so he goes, which way is God now? All right, God spoke through me, and now where is he, Mr. Smart Guy? He goes, you're going to find out when you're hiding because they're coming after you because you're a false prophet, and these people died, all right? Verse 25, the king of Israel then ordered, take Micaiah and send him back to Amon, the ruler of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, this is what the king says. Put this fellow in prison and give him nothing but bread and water until I return safely. Does Ahab take it to heart? Does it make him pause? He goes, put that bum in jail until I get back. Alive! And then I'm going to deal with him. As they're dragging him away, look at 27, Micaiah declared, if you ever return safely, the Lord has not spoken through me. Then he added, mark my words, all you people. I think this is one of the most dramatic sections in Scripture. Look, don't do this. You're not going to win. You're going to lose. And there's going to be a lot of people suffering if you make this choice. Don't do this. Ah, I'll, I'll deal with you when I get back. Now the wheels are turning in, Jehoshaphat's, or in Ahab's head 
as they go out to battle. Look at verse 28. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went up to Ramoth-Gilead. Notice the disloyalty. Jehoshaphat, what is he doing? Did he listen? He didn't intervene. He didn't go, I'm not doing this. I don't know. You can go. I'm not going to go. He disloyally follows and enters into this battle, right? Verse 29, the king of Israel, Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, I'll enter the battle in disguise, but you wear your royal robes. Look, I'm just going to dress like a regular uh, GI, okay? But you dress like uh, General Custer, okay? And I want you to stand out like a sore throat in your royal robes, okay? That sounds like a really good battle plan, don't you think? So the king of Israel disguised himself, went into battle. Boy, maybe what my kid said was right. I'm just going to play it safe, and I'm just going to dress like a regular guy. But then Jehoshaphat will look like the king, and then maybe he'll die, and I'll survive, and boy, it's too bad, too bad. Verse 30, now the king of Aram had ordered his chariot commanders, do not fight with anyone small or great except the king of Israel. When the chariot commanders saw Jehoshaphat, they thought, this is the king of Israel. So they turned to attack him, but Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him. Thank you, Lord, for undeserved mercy, all right, grace. You shouldn't be here. You didn't listen to my prophet. I hear you calling out, and I'm protecting you now, all right? So they don't get you, even though you're standing out in a sore thumb, like a sore thumb in your royal robes, right? Uh, so the Lord drew them away from him. Verse 32, for when the chariot commander saw that he was not the king of Israel, they stopped pursuing him, all right? <laughs> you're, wait a minute, you're not him. But someone, now watch this. God is sovereign. He's in total control, and his will will be done. I love this. Look at verse 33. But someone drew his bow at random and hit the king of Israel between the sections of his armor. Hey, Josephine, why don't you wear your royal robes? Well, what are you wearing? Oh, this is what I always wear in battle. I just wear normal clothes. And now no one will know it's me, and I can just be here. But somebody just at random shot an arrow, and it got him. And God goes... My will is going to be done. And you can try to hide, and you can try to disguise yourself, but I'm omniscient, and it ain't going to happen. All right? You're not getting away. The king told the chariot driver, middle of verse 33, wheel around and get me out of the fighting. I've been wounded. All day long the battle raged, and the king of Israel propped himself up in his chariot facing the Arameans until evening. Then at sunset he died. When Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, returned safely to his palace in Jerusalem, Yehu the seer, the son of Hanani, went out to meet him and said to the king, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, the wrath of the Lord is, up, is upon you. There is, however, some good in you, for you've rid the land of the Asherah poles and have set your heart on seeking God. Again, prophets have a tough job. They tell people a hard truth. What were you doing? You went up to people that are not following God, made an alliance with them, went out to battle. You shouldn't have been there. You shouldn't have been doing that. Your disloyalty now is going to cause a problem. All right? So notice, he goes, the wrath of the Lord is on you. He says, you are, though, walking in his ways. You've got rid of the stuff, the, the idols and the like, and you have set your heart on God. But there are consequences to disobedience. And that's why Deuteronomy 28 is real clear. There's a short section of blessing. A long section on curses, consequences. All right? 
Let's take a break here. Two-minute stretch. Remember our application questions, all right? We're not just learning, but we want it to penetrate our heart, all right? So is there something in there? A sin to avoid, a warning to heed, an encouragement to hear, an example to follow, a promise to believe, a command to obey. Take two minutes. Stretch, stand up, talk to somebody about an application. What's the Lord showing you? And then we'll talk about that scene in heaven with the lying spirit. Back in two.
All right, let's come on back and uh, we're going to turn back to Second Chronicles 18 and just look at the spiritual warfare. It's absolutely fascinating to get a glimpse into heaven and, and what happened with those lying prophets. Again, 400 prophets with a deceiving spirit moving through them, all right? So again, Micaiah goes, you're not going to win, you're going to lose, all right? Uh, Ahab's going to die and the army's going to be defeated, right? Here's why that's going to happen, all right? Look at uh, 18, verse 18. Micaiah continued, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the host of heaven, sitting on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab, king of Israel, into attacking Ramoth Gilead and going to his death there? One suggested this and another that. Verse 20, Finally, a spirit came forward, stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. By what means, the Lord asked, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouths of all of his prophets, he said. You'll succeed in enticing him, said the Lord. Go and do it. So now the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouths of these prophets of yours. The Lord has decreed disaster for you. And you can dress in a disguise, but you're still going to die. What in the world's going on here? What's wild is this, to understand there is a spiritual reality. In a Christian worldview, we believe in a natural and a supernatural reality. So we believe in a natural reality. There's atoms and molecules, right? But we also believe in a supernatural reality. God, obviously, a supernatural being. But there's the angelic realm. And part of the angelic realm are demons who have fallen away. They do not follow God. Now, here's some things to consider. When you read Scripture you will see demonic, specifically Satan, coming back to heaven and talking with God. That stuff that you just kind of go, what? So again, Mark, Second Chronicles 18 with a finger or your outline or whatever works. Let's go to Job chapter 1. Let's go to Job chapter 1. I want to show you a couple passages in Scripture that talk about Satan in heaven. What? So we know that there's creation by God in six literal days. Seventh day he rested. Nobody knows on which day it was. It's not detailed in Scripture. But on one of those days of creation, he creates the angels. Colossians 1.16 For by him, Jesus, all things are created, whether in heaven or on earth, whether visible or invisible, whether thrones, powers, rulers, or principalities. So Colossians 1.16 says, Yeah, by Jesus... Everything was created, whether in heaven or on earth, whether you can see it with your naked eye or you can't, the supernatural, the angelic realm. In the Greek, at the end of Colossians 1, verse 16, there's, those are four angelic titles, thrones, powers, rulers, principalities. And so there's seven types of angels if you look in Scripture, all right? And so God made these spirits, and then some rebelled, didn't want to follow God, and God just let him go, all right? So if you don't want to work for me, then, then go, all right? But it sounds like they could still come back and visit, for lack of a better term. So you're in Job chapter 1. So you know Job is this godly man. And then in verse 6, one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. 
Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You bless the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he'll surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well, then everything he has is in your hands. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. I don't know if you've ever read that. You can see a similar scene in uh, the beginning of Job 2. What happened? Well, God is there, and the angels come, and Satan comes with them. Where have you been around earth? Have you seen Job? Yeah, he's only godly because everything's breaking his way. But when things go south, he'll abandon you. Now here's God's sovereignty. He's in total control. Fine. You think he only loves me because everything goes his way. You can touch his life. Or excuse me, you can touch his possessions, but you can't take his life. You can't harm him and, and, and kill him, all right? And so God is allowing him to do this, all right? And so Satan goes on, and you can read what happened if you don't recall that, right? So Job 1 and 2 gives you an image of Satan coming back into God's presence. What? Now let's go to Zechariah 3. Let's go to Zechariah 3. Here's a, a vision that Zechariah has. And so now you're going to Zechariah. It's just before Malachi. Or Malachi. All right, see, I'm just checking to see if anybody's awake out there. There's a couple of you that are still awake, all right? So now we're going to Zechariah 3. So when you read Zechariah, there's these visions that he has. That's how the first half of the book begins. There's these visions he has, right? And one of them is this incredible vision of a high priest named Joshua. It's not the guy who fights the Battle of Jericho. It's just another guy named Joshua, right? And in this vision, you're going to see Joshua the high priest and God and Satan. And they're all in this location together. Zechariah 3. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and standing at his right side to, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is, this, is not this man a burning, a burning stick snatched from the fire? So he says, I saw this vision and here was Joshua the high priest and here's God and here's Satan and Satan's accusing him and that's what Satan means. It means adversary, accuser. So he's accusing him and God basically tells him, shut up. Look, he's my guy. I pulled him out of the fire, all right? He's mine. Now look at three. Now Joshua was dressed in filthy robes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put rich garments on you. Then I said, Put a clean turban on his head. High priest would wear a turban and a special robe. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you walk in my ways and keep my requirements, then you'll govern my house and have charge over, of my courts, and I will give you a place among those standing here. He sees this vision. Here's Satan and God and this guy Joshua, the high priest. What's going on? Satan in God's presence? What's going on? Satan's accusing him. He's got a filthy robe on. He didn't belong with you. Shut up. The angel of the Lord put a clean robe on him. 
Zachariah goes, and, and the, the turban, he should wear the turban. Put the turban on his head. See, I've taken away your sin. Satan, accuser, adversary, he's got his dead to rights. I'm a sinner. I don't belong in God's presence. Nobody does. But we have one who speaks to the Father on our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Read 1 John 2 sometime. You get that law, that kind of courtroom imagery. 1 John 2. We're there and the prosecutor's got us dead to rights. And Satan's got us nailed. It's like, oh my gosh, you're right. I'm a sinner. And the paraclete, a legal term, the Holy Spirit, the counselor, the paraclete, he's coming alongside you going, take the robe of righteousness that Christ uses to cover your sinfulness. God takes away your sin. You don't do anything. You and I don't do anything. We're covered. But again, it's fascinating. Here's God and Satan, and they're together. What in the world, right? Now we read 1 Kings. I saw God and all these spirits there. And this lying spirit said, I could lie. And yes, you could. You could deceive these people because they don't listen to me. Nobody listens to me up there. Go ahead and do it. It'll, that's, it'll, it'll bring about the judgment on, on Ahab and then, and then uh, he's going to be done. What in the world's going on? Mentioned this before we began. Think about this. Think about this. We live after Jesus coming. We know Messiah. These people were waiting for the Messiah to come. They just believed the promise. They knew by faith Messiah would come. Because what did he say? You're going to have this great land. You're going to have this great nation. And all nations will be blessed through you. So they're waiting. They're just waiting. They're waiting. They just don't know him. Well, we know him by name. But think about this. Up until... Good Friday, nobody's sins are paid for. And so what happens? God goes, by faith, these people, I've taken away your sin, and then it actually happens. It is finished. Now go to John 12. Think about this. Go to John 12. In John 12, Jesus is uh, talking. This is the last week uh, as he's on earth. It's Holy Week. And he says a very interesting thing in John chapter 12. You've got three recorded instances in Scripture of God talking audibly to Jesus so everybody within earshot can know his identity, all right? Baptism and transfiguration, Mount of Transfiguration, are probably the two most famous ones where if you have any doubt on who Jesus is, it's pretty clear because the voice from heaven, this is my son whom I love in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him, right? So it's spoken at the baptism. It's spoken at Mount of Transfiguration. Should be no question on who he is. There's a third time. Now, he may have, God may have spoken audibly to Jesus at other times. We're just not recorded in Scripture. But we know at least this one, this third one. In John 12, he's talking uh, during the last week of his life on earth. Pick up in verse 27. John 12 and 27. Now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. He goes, what am I going to do? Get me out of this? I, no, he goes, this is why I came. I came to seek and to save the lost. Luke 18, what he says to Zacchaeus. I, this is why I came. I came to save you, all right? Father, glorify your name. Now look at this, 28. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Watch this. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. 
Others said an angel had spoken to him. So they heard something, and some people go, oh my gosh, that was thunder. No, that was an angel. That was a voice. Then look at what Jesus says, verse 30. This voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Watch this. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. When they lift me up on the cross, I will draw all men to myself. But notice he says, verse 31, Now is time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. Now it's going to happen. He could accuse, he could accuse, he could accuse. That's who he is, your adversary. He's against you, but he's got you dead to rights. Your sin is, is there. God has to take it away. And now it's time for judgment. And the prince of this world is going to be driven out. Go to Revelation 12 now. Go to Revelation 12. Did any of you see the movie, um, The Passion of the Christ? The Passion of the Christ? Okay. There's a wonderful scene. It's my favorite scene in the movie. When Jesus dies, there's this earthquake. And you see this drop fall from heaven. And again, is it a tear from the Father's eye? It's just, you know, who knows what Mel Gibson is thinking as the director. But Jesus is dead. There's this great earthquake. And then Mel Gibson cuts away and he shows Satan screaming his head off in the middle of a wilderness. You just lost. It is finished. You just lost. We don't know he won until Easter Sunday. But it's paid for. It's finished. We were waiting. We were all waiting. We knew God was good. He's going to keep his promise. He's going to keep his promise. Satan's right there to accuse. And now, now the prince of this world will be driven out. Don't you ever come here and tell me these people's sins aren't forgiven. They are. It is finished. I claim the blood of Christ. You claim the blood of Christ. So now when you go to Revelation 12, what does John see? John says, you know what I saw? I saw spiritual warfare. And I saw the prince of this world in anger because he lost. Right? You're in Revelation 12. Uh, look at verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Now watch this. Now, then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. Now watch this. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the blood of their testimony. They didn't love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil's gone down to you. He's filled with fury, because he knows his time is short. Think about that. Look at verse 10 in the middle. 
The accuser of our brother, Satan, who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. It is finished. Now the prince of this world is going to be driven out. Get out. It's done. You've lost. All right? We have overcome by the blood of the Lamb. It's not anything we've done. It's His sacrificial death that, that provides our salvation. Look at 12. Rejoice, you heavens. You don't have to listen to that guy anymore. He's got nothing here. But woe to the earth and the sea. And the sea. Middle of verse 12. Why? The devil's gone down to you. He's filled with fury. He knows the clock is ticking. There's going to come an end. There's going to come a terminal point. Somebody's going to be the last generation on earth, and it's going to be over. And God's just going to bring down the curtain, done. Satan knows. He just doesn't know the day. Nobody knows the day or hour, Jesus says. Only the Father. Boom, it's going to end. He just knows his time is short. Okay, so I'm going to do all the damage I can in the meantime. So when you're seeing this, as you turn back to 2 Chronicles, what's going on here? Understand, there's spiritual warfare. And, and these demonic forces are available and they can come into God's presence and God can use them to accomplish His sovereign will. It's over for Ahab. Well, they don't listen to you, so I could lie to them and say that they're going to win. Go ahead and do that. Yeah, I can use your demonic lies to get him off the, the, the scene and, and to turn the page in Israel. As you turn to 2 Chronicles 19, uh, our time is short, and so just to summarize what happens, he has judges who are, uh, Jehoshaphat has judges who are making sure justice is being served, that the people are being dealt with fairly, again, according to the word of the Lord. So again, you can, you can read that. Uh, if you flip the outline over, go to the backside in verse 20, there's this wonderful section that you got to read where there's an invasion from people um, uh, from the southeast and they're going to come up into to Judah, uh, people from Moab and Ammon. And so Jehoshaphat turns to God to, to deal with this um, invasion. It, uh, look at verse um, uh, chapter 20 and verse 1. We'll just look at some selected passages. Now, after this, the, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the uh, Munites came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom and from the other side of the sea, the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazan, uh, Tamar, that is, En Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. So it's wonderful. Remember, he had all of that army, but right immediately he turns to the Lord and said, Lord, you've got to help me, all right? And, and everybody, we need to turn to the Lord. We need to seek him, all right? So let's fast, let's, let's pray, let's find out what's going on. So you, you can read his prayer. It's his wonderful prayer. Um, but I want to take you down to 12. Verse 12, same chapter. O oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. It's a great section. Lord, we, we got nothing. You've you got to help us. Our eyes are on you. So, a prophet 
uh, has a word from the Lord. Jump to verse 14. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaniah, the son of Jeiel, the son of Madaniah, uh, Levite, and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. He said, Listen, King Joseph, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be coming up by the pass of Ziz, and you'll find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You'll not have to fight this battle. Watch this. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. So when you read this, what you find out is they go, okay, all right? So they go forward with people singing and praising the Lord, right? Uh, look at 22. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the men of Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So the Israelites, or the, the people of Judah, don't have to, and, and it's down here at Baraka, they, they don't have to fight at all. What happens is God sends this confusion among the people, so they fight against each other, wipe each other out, and when they get down there, there's these dead bodies, they take all this plunder away, and again, you can read it for yourself. And so... Uh, Verse 27, Then, led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Israel, for the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. The fear of the Lord, verse 29, came upon all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel, and the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. In the end, uh, he does a good job of, again, removing the idolatry, he makes another bad decision trying to make it a, a naval alliance with um, Ahaziah, a, a king from uh, Israel, and that's uh, something he shouldn't have done. Uh, and, and a prophet comes and tells him, you're, you're off track. You can read that for yourself. But he's this great example of, for the most part, okay, if this is what God says, we're going to walk in his ways, and I'm not going to be deterred. I'm not going to go off in the wrong way. Let's pray, and then uh, we will dismiss. Again, homework for next week is Hezekiah, 2 Chronicles 29 to 32. Lord, we thank you for the witness that you've provided in your word. I thank you for the life of Jehoshaphat and his willingness to walk in your ways. Lord, I thank you also for forgiveness that you've provided for, through Christ. Lord, Satan is dead to rights, but you've taken away our sin. and We don't have to be afraid anymore. Our accuser has nothing against us. Lord, I pray that we would walk in that newness of life and continue, like Jehoshaphat, to point people in the right direction. Lord, I pray that we would be loyal, that we would stay with you and not side with the world or sin. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you next week.